This is Guns and Butter. You know, you don't know which snowflake is going to start the avalanche. You know, but you know that the system is under such such stress that it will only take one more snowflake to start the avalanche. The, the, the system itself is is under extreme stress right now. It cannot take, you know, even one bit more of systemic complication. Uh, you know, an exponential increase in system complication, and and so we're at that pre-avalanche phase. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Max Kaiser. Today's show, Countdown to Currency Collapse. Max Kaiser is a financial analyst, television and radio host, journalist, and entrepreneur. He is host of the bi-weekly Max Kaiser Report with Stacy Herbert on RT, is co-host with Stacy Herbert of the weekly radio talk show, The Truth About Markets, on Resonance 104.4 FM in London, and is host of the weekly On the Edge with Max on Press TV. He produces documentary films covering markets for Al Jazeera's People and Power series, and is a frequent guest on Al Jazeera English and France 24. Max Kaiser is creator of Pirate My Film, an alternative media funding mechanism that supports the Creative Commons. Max Kaiser, welcome. Well, always a pleasure to speak with you, Bonnie. It's been a year since we last spoke, Max. At that time, you had just returned from Greece, and we spoke about the crisis there. A lot has happened in the past year. Let's start with fraud. Bring us up to date on the latest in financial fraud. What's been going on? Well, the, uh, the number of frauds are increasing, and they're getting bigger. So at HSBC, uh, they're implicated in a multi-hundred billion dollar money laundering scandal for Mexican drug cartels. Uh, They're also, and then over at Barclays, uh, they're involved with the multi-hundred trillion dollar LIBOR rigging scandal. Uh, JP Morgan was caught uh, fiddling their books in London uh, on, on this recent two and then five and billion dollar error. Um... So the list goes on and on. Standard Charter uh, now fined a few hundred million dollars for money laundering for Iran. Um, just about every single one of the so-called too-big-to-fail banks is involved in a multi-hundred billion dollar scandal of some type. So the, the level of fraud is increasing. Uh, the, the numbers are getting bigger. Uh, the response from regulators around the world is still uh, a big nothing, a big a big silence. Now, I never completely understood the LIBOR scandal, a bank's fixing interbank uh, lending rates. I mean, haven't they always done this? Well, it's a question of trading on the uh, advance information. They fix the rate, but they're telegraphing their... Um, machinations to the market ahead of time to trade on that inside information. Well, now, what about this MF Global and John Corzine with people's money in their own private accounts just disappearing? Has anything happened with that at all? Well, the, the John Corzine story at MF Global is uh, really introducing a new chapter in all this, because as you point out, money 
was directly taken out of segregated customer accounts over a billion dollars. Corzine himself, uh, his defense is that the money simply vaporized, that's the word he used, uh, and that has held up. Uh, there's no regulatory agency is questioning his defense that the money simply vaporized. He has no idea where it went. And now uh, the, 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 the scuttlebutt is he's starting a new hedge fund. So John Corzine is up and running, starting a new hedge fund, back in business. And um, his crimes, along with Jamie Dimon over at J.P. Morgan, are just being swept under the rug. Yes, I did read that he was going to start a new hedge fund. I mean, how can he do that? Oh, there, there's no law anymore, I guess. Well, he's a made man. You know, he's a former governor of New Jersey. He's former head of Goldman Sachs. He's part of the inner circle of the, the global financial mafia. He's untouchable. Right. And, and what do you think about this uh, Facebook IPO fiasco? This is, uh, I think this is pretty interesting because, you know, on Wall Street, for years, there have been the notorious bucket shops, and they have uh, peddled in usually penny stocks. And um, it's a really kind of a unseemly side of Wall Street that's up- operated for uh, really since Wall Street's been around. And uh, the pump and dump scam is uh, the insiders buy up a bunch of some uh, company with very dubious prospects. And then they start calling people up and they get them to buy into this amazing story and they sell out their stock at a much higher price to the to the new investors. And then once they 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 stop selling their stock, the market collapses and the new investors are held holding worthless stock. So here this is the first one hundred and four billion dollar pump and dump scam. The um Facebook's business prospects are dubious. There's not really a, much of a model there. You had the likes of Barack Obama himself putting his arm around Mark Zuckerberg in the White House promoting this pump and dump scam. The, uh, the insiders, as the stock crossed in valuation from $30 billion, $40 billion, $50 billion, et cetera, all the way up to $100 billion, all the way up to the IPO, the insiders were dumping, including Zuckerberg. So the, the insiders, the, the venture capitalists and the insiders, they've sold out. They've made billions of dollars. The people who ended up buying into this at $38 a share on the IPO, they're the suckers. They're the victims. They got The stock has been dumped onto them, and it's, it's a classic pump and dump scam. It, it's, it's unusual because you have never seen one ever. I don't think there's ever been one, a hundred, $100 billion IPO pump and dump scam. So that's, that's certainly novel. But the underlying um, story here is, is, is a classic penny stock Wall Street pump and dump scam. I didn't realize that Zuckerberg had been dumping his stock. Oh, sure. Sure. He's, he's raised over a billion dollars in cash. Well, now, do you think that this was intended as a big scam right from the beginning? Well, by what I'm saying is that it's... It's one of many tried-and-true scams that Wall Street uses to sucker people out of their money. It's called a pump-and-dump scam. It's one of many types of scams. And the people behind it, when they organize it and they begin to uh, begin the, the story, the, the narrative to this, 
they do so with full knowledge that they are engaged in a fraudulent activity. Same thing with Groupon. Same thing with Zynga. Oh, by the way, all three of those companies, they're all pump and dump scams. Zynga, Groupon, and Facebook. And collectively, in the last three months, shareholders have lost over $62 billion. And all three of those companies shared Ernst & Young as their auditor. Uh, and that brings up another aspect to this uh, racketeering that's going on. Because there are several components to the racket. There's the the, the Wall Street banks, then there's the auditors uh, that are involved, then there's the hedge funds, then there's the rating agencies, then there's mainstream financial media like CNBC. But the auditor's role is that they sign off on uh, books that, that characterize things such as losses as revenue. So in the case of Zynga, they are generating losses, but they mark it as revenue. I mean, that's what the auditor does. They're very corrupt, and they're part of this mafia racket. Right. So there's fraud in all of these accounting firms. I mean, I'm I'm reminded of Arthur Anderson, and um, I I think they went under, didn't they? Yeah. Well, Enron Enron was Arthur Anderson was Enron's accountant. Uh, they um, were engaged in massive fraud and hiding tens of billions of dollars worth of liabilities. Then, when it was exposed, they went out of business. But the remaining big four or big five, whatever they're down to now, they have not changed their practices at all. They've only gotten more egregious in their outrageous accounting misconduct uh, because they've been a very aggressive in getting Congress to change laws, modify laws, bring in new laws to, to strengthen their stranglehold with this, with this mafia approach. So they've, they've gotten much worse. How important or dangerous is this continuing financial fraud? Is it something that's always going on, or do you see this as a as a, a real shift, as a as a breakdown in the financial system itself? Uh, the the financial system started to break down in the uh, 1970s, and it's just been getting worse. Uh, and it's been accelerating in terms of its its breakdown. I just wanted to give you the uh, I'll give you a good reference here. Um, Francine McKenna, who's a, a former one of the big accountants, writes for Forbes. And she has a great story here about Groupon, Zynga, Facebook, and they share the same accountant. It's Ernst & Young. Ernst & Young is the, is the accountant. But um, the, the system, you, you, you ask how, how much damage is this doing to the system. And um, it's... Um, approaching a point now where the, um, the, the, the system is now so overloaded with fraud and uh, derivatives, which are desperately trying to cover over this fraud, that we're kind of rapidly approaching a point of, of a global financial breakdown that would be far in excess of what we saw in 2008. Right. And what, in your opinion, is keeping the stock market afloat? I mean, it's up there, what, 12, 13,000 still. And yet I keep reading that the average investor has lost confidence in it. What's, what's keeping this all floating? Well, 86% of the volume on the New York Stock Exchange are computers trading with other computers. They're not humans. And the computers are programmed using algorithms to make 
massive amounts of trade, they're funded with off-balance sheet accounts that are not officially in anyone's books. And um, those, uh, those values are basically uh, uh, you know, ephemeral. It's a hologram generated by computer trading, high-frequency trading, uh, algorithmic trading, uh, just to keep the value of the presumed collateral that's on the books of these various banks at a level that they can continue their operations. That is unsustainable, and we see it breaking apart. We see these flash crashes that are occurring, or Night Capital blew up in 45 minutes. They lost $440 million in 45 minutes because of an algorithmic trading robot blew up. So, and these are happening with greater frequency, with bigger numbers. So uh, that's what we're heading for. When you have a systemic collapse, you'll have a multi-trillion dollar flash crash affecting the global financial markets. That will occur like an Enron situation quite rapidly, and the system will be irreparably uh, damaged. Now, when we talk about a systemic collapse, particularly, most particularly of the financial system, and it's all globally tied together now, uh, and as you've stated, things are much worse now than they were in 2008, how do you see this happening? Nobody's got a, a crystal ball, but at some point, the system's going to give away, isn't it? I mean, is the whole thing going to come crashing down? People have been predicting this for a long time, but somehow it just keeps continuing. Well, the, the people have been predicting different scenarios. They, they've been predicting, you know, uh, different, different versions of, of this story and with, with different causes and different outcomes and the different timelines. But, you know, it's important to remember that the basic timeline is still very much in place over the past five to ten years. The, the markets are coming unglued. The wealth and income gaps are widening dramatically. The potential for civil unrest and the actual civil unrest is increasing sharply. The, um, the, the amount of um, contortionist uh, monetary policies required to cover the gaping holes in the system are becoming more extreme. So you have programs like quantitative easing, which are you know, extreme central bank maneuvers. So all of these things are, are all are all coming together. And so the, the timing of it, um, I've gone on record in saying I think that by April of 2013, you'll have this global collapse. You'll have uh, at the outset. You've got now probably in April of 2013 when it, they do the taxes uh, for the U.S., there'll be a, a remarkable shortfall in, in taxes. And U.S. government paper will be downgraded pretty sharply. But what it, what it looks like is the currencies, the major currencies of the world, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the Chinese uh, RMB, collapse. Uh, like we saw a currency collapse in Argentina, like we saw a currency collapse in Iceland, uh, as we've seen the Asian financial collapse in the 90s. But it's a global synchronous currency collapse. And when I say currencies, I do not include gold and silver. Gold and silver, of course, would be the, the opposite trade, the opposite uh, of this. This, this is where uh, the smart money is moving now. The central banks are buying gold. China is very aggressively buying gold. Uh, smart hedge funds like John Paulson are 
increasing their gold. Soros is increasing his gold because they know what's about to happen. They know we're at the end game now. So they want to have the only thing that's been good money for 5,000 years, gold and silver. I'm speaking with financial analyst and broadcast journalist Max Kaiser. Today's show, Countdown to Currency Collapse. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So when you say you see the system breaking down April 2013, you are basing that on when U.S. taxes are due, correct? I think that'll be the – if the system is still around by, by that by, – by then, I project that 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 remarkable shortfall come April next year will be – if there needs to be a trigger yet to, to fire to cause this – global meltdown. I think that would be the the trigger and that would be the time frame. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people I know who barely have any money at all are getting all of these letters from the IRS and the Franchise Tax Board uh, after them for these little bits of money. Uh, And I've just noticed this in the past month. So I don't know, are they going after the little guys before the, uh, it's kind of nutty. Well, uh, this is this is predictable, and uh, it's uh, historically, you know, predictable. Is they're they're broke. They're they're looking for any money they can. They're they're broke. The the government is uh, is completely broke. There's 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 no economic scenario that you can uh, imagine or, or create that would that would pay off U.S. government debt. Um, it, it just mathematically can't happen under a so-called growth scenario. There's only two two outcomes. One is a default on the debt. That would be another collapse. Or two, hyperinflation or currency collapse, which is what I think is going to be the outcome. I think they'll, they will attempt to inflate their way out of this debt by allowing the dollar and other currencies to collapse in, in a hyperinflationary endgame. And that's coming, you know. Well, if you see a collapse in fiat currency, uh, how is that going to look? I mean, what would happen? The price of gas would be $15 a gallon, and uh, the groceries would be two, dollars $300, $400 for a bag of groceries. So when you, you're talking about hyperinflation, like something like what occurred in uh, pre-World War II Germany. Right, exactly. What about global debt and U.S. debt in particular? A lot of economists think that because the U.S. government prints its own money and that the dollar is the world's reserve currency, that the U.S. government can stimulate the economy and create an economic recovery by creating a new New Deal, i.e. putting money into infrastructure, reconstruction, hiring people, etc. Do you see an FDR type New Deal scenario as a possible fix? At the time of the New Deal, the U.S. was the world's biggest creditor. Now the U.S. is the world's biggest debtor. And they simply don't have any room for that. You know, right now, the biggest buyer of U.S. debt is the U.S. government. Up until recently, the second biggest buyer was China. That's now Japan. China is dumping their U.S. debt, uh, and as are various other global creditors. Uh, You can't you can't finance debt with more debt infinitely. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. It's 
you know, it's it's like inventing an anti-gravity machine or something. It's just, it's not going to happen. So you can't make the comparison, really. If you want to make the comparison, let's say, to another period of time, the crash of the 20s and, and the uh, Depression, uh, if you get the right, if you if you go back and draw the right conclusions from that period of time, you can see more accurately where we are in this. Uh, you know, the, the the depression was caused primarily by the run-up in speculation on Wall Street in the 20s. Then you had the crash of 29. The recovery was really the number one contributor to the recovery were the reform, reforms that were put in place by FDR and also the PCORA Commission that was in place that went ahead and prosecuted uh, bankers and put many, many bankers uh, in jail and uh, brought in things like Glass-Steagall and FDIC, etc. Now, the crisis today, we have the same problem. We had Wall Street speculation create this enormous bubble in derivatives that crashed in 2007. And um, the solution is similar. You need to reform the banks if you want to recover from the from the resulting depression, which is the result of the banking speculation. But we're no, nowhere near that. There's no PCORA commission. There's, there's no bankers going to jail. There's, there's nothing. So there is, there's no hope of any kind of recovery until you learn the lessons from the crash and the depression of the 20s and 30s. A stimulus program based on issuing more fiat currency that simply gives bankers more leeway to commit more fraud is you know throwing gasoline onto the fire. You, you don't want to give stimulus, print money, and have it circulate through Wall Street so that they can leverage that up another 10 or 15 times, create another 5 or $10 trillion worth of unsustainable debt, and then simply make the resultant crash that much worse. But I don't think we're even going to have the opportunity to make that experiment because I believe we're in the last 35 weeks of of, of time of the timeline is only 35 weeks now away before we get the the um, global uh, fiat currency obliteration. So there won't be there won't be any time really. It won't. It'll be a moot point in six months. So you're saying that you think that the the systemic fraud this time around, as opposed to the depression era, is much much worse. And actually, I mean, in fact, the banks control the government rather than vice versa, right? Well, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying it's worse. I'm saying that there's been no response. In, in the 30s, there was a response. Bank, banksters were put into jail. Right. Here, there's been no response at all. Exactly. And until there, until there is a response, then expect more of the same. Now, how do you see the next nine months going? It looks pretty bleak. What do you think is going to trigger this whole thing, the inflation of the currency? Well, that's, that's an interesting point. That, that, then you get more into a gray, fuzzy area, what ultimately will be the, the trigger. I, I think at the worst, you know, the, the outset of this timeline, I'm saying tax receipts April 2013 is going to be the ultimate trigger if there is no trigger between now and then. But before then, you could get something like Japan is extremely fragile uh, they've got GDP over 200%. They've got now demographically a horrible situation where instead of being allowed to finance their debts internally, they've got a whole generation that's pulling money out of the retirement system. So that's essentially collapsing. And they're 
uh, a big part of this global, globalized, financialized, transactionalized uh, world. So that that could be the trigger there. Um, and right at the moment, that's my I, I'm kind of looking at that pretty closely. I think that that what's happening in Japan could could be the trigger to to, to set this off. But it could come from a number of different sources. Um, in South Africa, you know, they have these huge labor riots, and um, the government responded by murdering uh, many, many people. South Africa, of course, is uh, very key in the global uh, commodity business, gold, platinum business. If that spreads to gold mining in South Africa and the, some nationalization wave occurs across the commodity sector, that could be the trigger. So that's another possibility. Uh, there are other possibilities. Any one of them could be the trigger. When you, you, know, don't, you don't know which snowflake is going to start the avalanche. You know, but you know that the system is under such, a, such stress that it will only take one more snowflake to start the avalanche. The, the, the system itself is, is under extreme stress right now. It cannot take you know, even one bit more of systemic complication, uh, you know, an exponential increase in system complication. And, and so we're at that pre-avalanche phase. And now you mentioned Japan as a possible trigger because why? Because Japan is the second largest buyer of U.S. debt? Well, the yen is a currency that everyone has flocked into as a safe haven trade. And uh, so there's a tremendous amount of money locked up in Japan right now uh, with the idea that the economy is uh, relatively stable compared with other G20 economies. But uh, it, it looks as though that is about to reverse itself, and the country will not be seen as a safe haven anymore, which would precipitate outflows, many, many, many trillions outflowing, and then that would be the beginning of this avalanche. Well, now, let's say that the system, which is teetering, really does crash in some fashion. Uh, What else do you think that that would look like? I mean, now... I've done shows on the militarization of the local police departments. Obviously, the U.S. has the most incredibly advanced uh, technological weaponry. We've got a a, a huge prison complex industry going on here. Uh, Do you see a martial law type scenario? What what do you think might might it look like? Well, first of all, in terms of um, one of the other... One of the other attributes, aside from hyperinflation, you'd have bank so-called holidays. So banks would, would shut down. So this would make it very difficult to, to fund operations. You know, in 2008, you had that situation where the credit lines amongst the top banks in the world froze, and they couldn't get money from each other. They couldn't lend to each other. They, they, there was a complete... Um, freezing up of the global system. So, but you know, imagine this more more comprehensively with ATMs running out of money. Already in Europe, we see instances. For example, here in France, the limits that you can take out of your uh, bank using an ATM card have been reduced. So that's kind of a soft run on the bank. Um, so the banks can simply say, well, you can only take out a hundred dollars a day. And then a week later, they'll say you can only take $50 out during the course of a day. Uh, In Britain, recently, you had two banks uh, go through multi-day 
uh, systemic failures where people couldn't get their money, they couldn't move their money, they couldn't pay their bills. Uh, so the, the system, again, is highly stressed, and that would be what it looks like. You can't get money in the machine. You're, you're completely without money. The, the, uh, you know, we've seen this in Argentina, and we've seen this before. But as far as what it looks like on the social, uh, what, what the Economist magazine would call the social cohesion, <laughs> you know, they ran a uh, story two or three years ago called the Social Cohesion Index, where they tried to predict which countries would be the least uh, fun places to be during such an event. Um, and, and my general rule of thumb is uh, you don't want to be anywhere with a lot of uh, tanks, soldiers, guns, and prisons. You know, try to stay away from those areas. So certainly in the U.S., you know, you have a lot of soldiers, guns, and prisons now. So that's not a not a good place to, to be. Uh, I'm not there for this reason. Uh, so, uh, you know, that would be a good rule of thumb. If you see a lot of drones, cops, guns, tanks, <laughs> soldiers, you know, try to stay away from those areas. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm speaking with financial analyst and broadcast journalist Max Kaiser. Today's show, Countdown to Currency Collapse. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, I understand that you're planning a move to Great Britain. Now, isn't Great Britain pretty much right up there with the, the police state type scenarios? Well, as a, as a media figure, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out. And of course, you had the Julian Assange um, story playing out where uh, Julian Assange, a journalist, uh, is now taking on uh, the biggest governments in the world, and so far he's doing quite well. So Britain's really become an interesting place, uh, not only for journal journalist rights, but also it's ground zero for a global banking fraud. So all the biggest bank frauds of the past 10 years have gone through Britain, uh, gone through the city of London, whether it's AIG, MF Global, JP Morgan's London Whale, uh, Bernie Madoff, um, Royal Bank of Scotland, HSBC, Barclays, they all go through London. It's uh, really the epicenter of the global bank fraud market. And since we cover bank fraud as kind of the, the thing that we cover, uh, we, we decided that since we're heading into the end game, we wanted to be get a front row seat because the whole city of London is, is about to blow up. And we want to be there and cover it and, you know, give a firsthand account of that. Boy, I'll say. But uh, do you ever feel that your uh, safety is at risk or not? Uh, I don't have any any fear of that, and I'll tell you why. You know, a poll was done recently asking people if they knew who Jamie Dimon was. Uh, 66% had absolutely no idea. So uh, if our work has in some way educated people about the people that are abusing them, then there might be some risk. But since... 66% of the population or, or more have absolutely no idea how they're being abused, then the banksters who are doing the abusing don't really care. Oh, I see. So they feel that everyone is so uneducated that uh, who cares if they're being exposed? Yeah, they're, 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 they're not at any risk. There's no possibility of them being penalized or facing any kind of jail time. So they're too busy spending their money having fun. You know, they've got yachts to make payments on and, you know, vacations to go on. They're not going to. So they, they don't they're, they're not in, in, under any threat whatsoever. I doubt any of them even know I exist. 
That's interesting. Now, was that poll taken of U.S. citizens, or where was that poll conducted? In the U.S. It was the U.S., okay. Um, What role is China playing in the global economy? And uh, do you see the Chinese economy as strong, or are there serious economic dislocations there as well? Well, they've been misreporting their numbers just like the U.S. has. So the the growth rates are not really what they say that they have been. You know, they made the transition from the iron rice bowl economy, guaranteeing everybody food, to this uh, capitalism is glorious uh, uh, system, which guarantees everyone has a chance to get rich. So if that narrative is challenged, I would imagine that China reverts back to type, which is the country with the most revolutions. <laughs> well, they certainly have the most people, yes. They have the, uh, the most um, riots and social unrest, really, of, of, all the, of all the big countries. They have, uh, uh, you know, they just had a massive uh, people back, going back to 1989. So then they ushered in this... Uh, it's glorious to be rich campaign, but the numbers are weakening. The uh, they have whole cities that they've built that are completely empty, uh, and um, they have a three trillion dollar reserve position over one trillion in U.S. dollars, uh, which is potentially going to be worth nothing. So this is why China is very aggressively buying gold. They have a thousand tons of gold, which is. Uh, puts them in the top five of the top gold holder in countries of the world, but they'd want to be a lot closer to Germany with 3,000 tons, where the IMF has uh, more tons than they do. The Eurozone has over 12,000 tons in total. The U.S. has 8,000 tons. So um, I think one of the big shocks yet to be announced this year will be China will increase their official gold reserve in in a very stunningly dramatic way. Anecdotally, we know that they've already imported almost 400 tons of gold um, this year, the first six months of this year, and that hasn't officially been reported yet. So at some point this year, they may announce that they've gone from 1,000 tons to 2,000 tons of gold, which would completely uh, change the global markets in in an instant because people would then understand that there's a mad scramble for gold because nobody trusts these fiat currencies anymore. And that that could be the trigger. You know, if you want to know what could be the trigger, it could be Japan, it could be unrest in South Africa, it could be China announcing that they doubled their gold position to 2,000 tons. So you see precious metals, specifically gold and silver, as what the elite are retreating to. Is that correct? The smart money is buying gold. That's why gold prices for the last 10 years, gold and silver have been two of the most, uh, the best performing assets of the past 10 years. They've been absolutely remarkable in terms of their performance. And that's, and that's during a period when less than 1% of the world's investable assets are, are even in precious metals. So, Gold and silver are remarkably underowned as an investment around the world. Central banks for now have reversed themselves. They're not buying gold. Uh, but the average person does not own any gold or silver whatsoever. And the, the number is actually, I think it's been revised. I would say less than 
of the multi-trillion dollar pool of investable capital around the world is invested in precious metals. So if that number goes from 2% to 5% or 6% or 10%, then gold goes from $1,600 an ounce to $7,500 an ounce. Silver goes from um, $28 an ounce to $200 an ounce. I see what you're saying. And so that could happen uh, possibly in a relatively short period of time. Absolutely, yeah, because it would be the, 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 the converse of a collapse in fiat money. You would see fiat money collapse and gold skyrocket. As this uh, financial system unravels and we head towards some sort of collapse, do you think that the elite with the money and advanced weaponry will be able to continue to be in control? Sure. Because <laughs> they've got all the money and all the weapons. Exactly. So, I mean, you have to, you, you know, the, we're going back to what will emerge is a system we had in the Middle Ages. You had monarchs and, and you had serfs. You had lords and serfs. So th th they're happy with that. The, the elites are happy with that system. Uh, they get to lord it over more people. Uh, they're the greater concentration of wealth. So they're, they're, they're happy with that system. The, the serfs, of course, are going to give up the whole idea of having a middle class or having any kind of uh, freedom or independence, uh, financial independence. Uh, but they'll have, uh, you know, a roof over their head, presumably, like they did back in the Middle Ages. Well, what do you think that the average person, and particularly in American citizens, but uh, citizens in Europe or elsewhere, what do you think a person ought to do? Uh, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Well, I mean, that's kind of a very broad question in terms of what outcomes are you Well, I mean, as... simply in terms of uh, their survival, their well-being, their physical well-being, let's say. Well, you can't beat having some gold and silver. You know, you, you're going to need that to survive. Uh, you know, there's a story out of Portugal where uh, the, the austerity measures imposed in Greece... Uh, in Portugal that have resulted in widespread impoverishment, uh, people were resorting to selling their gold for cash to eat, to survive. Uh, they recently, the, the majority of the population has run out of their spare gold, their wedding rings and jewelry. Uh, and, and now they're all going, they're, they're facing starvation and homelessness. So, but that having some gold and silver kept the wolf at the, at the door for a little while longer. I mean, the more you have, the, the more independence and freedom you have. So um, that, that's, uh, you know, I, I talked to uh, Paul Moore, who was a former top regulator at Halifax Bank of Scotland. I had him on my show. And he made the point that this current financial crisis that you could say started in 2007 is the biggest humanitarian crisis since World War II. And he reckons that over 100 million people have been thrust into poverty as a result of this crisis, and that many millions of these people are now either at death's door or who have already died or committed suicide. And um, he likens it to a financial holocaust. And I don't think that's too strong. Uh, I think that language is appropriate because you're talking about a calculated extermination of an entire class of people, poor people, by... Um, a group that would prefer not to have them around anymore. 
Yes, I read a really heartbreaking article about what's going on in Spain and how young people there can't find jobs, and they and their kids are moving in with their poor parents who are elderly and on a pension, and these old people have to support a couple of generations on their pensions. It was very sad. Right, and the next step will be to create a ghetto, to send them to the ghetto. And then when the ghetto get unmanageable, we know where, we know where that goes. Yes, and it seems like so much of this poverty and what's happening to people is hidden in the media. There's no focus on it. Even though it's so pervasive, it remains hidden. Do you have that impression? Well, I was watching uh, Bill Maher's uh, show last night, Real Time, and on the panel is uh, Mark Cuban. He's a billionaire. Uh, Bill Maher himself talking about giving away millions of dollars to charities. Somebody else gave away a million dollars. So here you have a show that purportedly speaks up for the uh, progressives, for the left wing, for the democratic side, made up entirely of millionaires and billionaires. You know, there's, there's no left in America. There's no um, opposition. There's no opposing views. If that's the, if that's the, the, the most uh, you, know, you can muster in terms of an opposing view to the, to the wealth and powerful are a panel of millionaires and billionaires. Um, you know, clearly, you don't you don't have a functioning media space. No, exactly. And uh, the media is comprised, like you say, of millionaires and billionaires and celebrities. And there's no there's very little that has to do with what's really going on with most of the population. I'm speaking with financial analyst and broadcast journalist Max Kaiser. Today's show. Countdown to Currency Collapse. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Where do global derivatives stand at this point? Last time we spoke, they were in the trillions. What's going on with derivatives now? Are they continuing to go up exponentially? Because they're, they're not officially um, accounted for. You know, you, you look at the Bank of International Settlement. They do the best work. They're the central bank of central banks. And according to their recent work, their recent reports, global derivative values, notional values, uh, are hitting new highs in the uh, upper, upper end of the $800 trillion figure. And so this has to keep being floated, obviously. If it starts to unwind then that could, could bring down the whole system, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and the number one reason why these things keep, keep you know, floating around is the interest rate policies of central banks to pursue 0% interest rate policies. So, for example, in, in uh, the Federal Reserve Bank's you know, official interest rates are almost at complete zero. And uh, this is being mimicked with central banks around the world. So you have $800 trillion in debt, which are these derivatives, but the interest rates are close to uh, near zero. So the interest cost, they believe, the central banks believe that the interest cost is manageable, especially if they bring in programs like quantitative easing and other programs that keep interest rates artificially low. But But this is causing incredible economic stress because... In order to artificially keep interest rates low, that means that you are penalizing savers and pensioners and workers. 
people who are getting 5 or 6% on their savings, retired people, for example, over the past 10 years, they've seen that go from 5 or 6% down to less than one-tenth of 1%. So th that's where the money is coming from. It's being transferred from the savers, from the pensioners, from the workers to the speculators. Th those people are dying off as a result of it. Those people are being, it's called financial repression. There's an actual economic term for it. And uh, as the need to keep this thing floating continues to grow and the need to keep interest rates even cheaper. So now we're at a point where in countries like Switzerland and Germany, actually interest rates have gone negative. So if you're borrowing money from those governments for two years, you have to pay them money. So now we're in a negative interest rate scenario. So again, this is about confiscation of wealth. So not only do you get zero money on your, on your retirement account, zero money on your pension, but the government will charge you 1% or 2%. They'll just confiscate it. Obviously, that's not good for your retirement plans. And as the situation continues to get more outrageous with the need to flow more derivatives to keep the balance sheets of these banks looking artificially healthy, then the need to gouge money from savers and pensioners and, and, and Social Security and, and these other pools of capital that are owned by the citizens will become greater. And the, the social cohesion will become uh, less. You know, you'll have more, more uh, social problems. Well, exactly. And what about people that are buying U.S. treasuries and, and they're getting nothing for them? Or like you're saying, they're actually paying the government to hold their money. What's that all about? Well, there's a perception that there's safety in owning these instruments, but um, they're exposed to interest rate risk. So in, a, in, a, in an inflationary, hyperinflationary currency collapse, then that paper would become worthless. So I'm not sure that's a good idea. Right. So you don't, uh, you don't necessarily see that as a safe haven type of move at all. It's a guaranteed wealth confiscation plan. <laughs> right. How do you think people are going to behave uh, during this uh, continuing and escalating crisis. I used to be somewhat sanguine about it, and I thought maybe people would hang together and help each other. But I don't think that so much anymore because of certain experiences I've had lately. How do you see that going? Do you have any opinion as to how uh, people are going to behave? Do you think it's going to be everybody for themselves, or do you think that people might come together? Well, I, I don't, I don't see any 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 uh, incidents in history where, when you suddenly remove from a population their ability to feed themselves and their ability to uh, move around to transportation, that the result is a, a big group hug and singing of kumbaya. Right, right. These types of scenarios uh, typically look pretty scary, don't they? How can you not have that conclusion? <laughs> you know what? Well, I'm not sure how anyone could, could draw the conclusion that you've got a group of kleptocrats and oligarchs who have engineered a collapse. They've stolen trillions. Now they've turned around and decimated the economy. They've wiped out the savings. They've removed all the jobs. And they've killed the transportation system, 
and uh, that people are not going to have a negative response. Now, why do you specifically see the unraveling of the system occurring within the next nine months, say, rather than the next two or three years? What's behind that? I think it's it's, it's kind of a, an appreciation for systems analysis, because the global economy is more of a, you have to look at it in terms of systems analysis and not really as as classical economics of supply and demand and manufacturing and output and global trade because so much of, of what's going on now are just transactions going computer to computer and the addition of hundreds of trillions of dollars worth of additional derivatives and debt that are being managed as a global system uh, of flow. You know, banks' balance sheets, for example, JP Morgan has $90 trillion in derivatives on its books. This is a company with a market cap of $140 billion. You can't honestly say that JP Morgan has any book value or net value at all. It's got a negative net value of many billions and billions of dollars. So what is JP Morgan then? It's a, an entity that uh, transactions flow through. Trillions of dollars worth of transactions flow through JP Morgan. And they collect fees on those transactions. But if those were transactions were to suddenly stop, then JP Morgan, like a hologram, when you turn it off, disappears, or like Enron disappeared, or like um, you know any of these other companies that have disappeared, or as John Corzine describes, the 1.2 billion at MF Global, it vaporized. You know, it just went into the vapor. It went into the ether. We don't know where it went. So. As a systems and systems analyst, uh, what you see, if you look at the, the system and analyze it as, as a system, there, there comes a point where the, um, every unit additionally of derivatives, in this case, it expands the complication and the fragility of the system exponentially. That's just the way systems work. And so we're at a point now, and when I see these flash crashes occurring with greater frequency, when Knight Capital blew up just a couple of weeks ago, as it did, 440, um, was a million uh, in 45 minutes, um, and the the mad scrambling by central banks to try to paper over these mistakes, the the expansion of uh, central bank function in Europe to to turn that into another huge multi-trillion dollar uh, Ponzi-like scheme. Th- this is suggesting to me that we're at a critical threshold where you have systemic global breakdown. It's just a matter of reading the the intensity of, of, of how these systems are being stressed out. So, I mean, I, a lot of this, I, a lot of this information I'm aggregating myself and, you know, going back to work that I've done inventing systems, you know, I invented the virtual specialist technology, which J.P. Morgan has referenced dozens of times, uh, that patent, the Kaiser patent for virtual specialist, which is making markets and virtual securities. And so I know from the inside what is the basis for this concept of valuing collateral on your books in terms of flow of fraudulent virtual securities and I can tell you as the inventor of the technology that this is now at the end game. There hasn't been any technological breakthrough that will accommodate the expansion in the uh, systemic uh, overlays that, that's going to be sustainable for another nine months. It's just not going to happen. That's very interesting. 
And how about Europe? I mean, obviously, the euro is a bit different than the dollar because it's uh, it's not tied to one specific country, but to the uh, to the EU. Do you see Europe pretty much going the same way as the U.S.? Well, no, because in the euro zone, they have uh, over twelve thousand tons of gold, so they have the most gold of, of any of any block. So that means that they are. Um, going to be in a very uh, relatively better position. Oh, I had no idea about that. That's interesting. So Italy Italy itself has over 2,400 tons of gold. Germany has 3,000 tons of gold. The U.S. has 8,000 tons of gold. It's true. But they also have many, many, many times more uh, claims or debts or derivatives. I see. So you see things going based on precious metals, ultimately, obviously. It always, it always goes back to precious metals. So with the only way to reconcile this huge buildup of derivatives will be to reconcile against something that has value, and that something is always in a, will always be gold. So therefore, when they, when they sit down and have another Brenton Woods-type agreement, figure out what these currencies are really worth, they're going to say that well, the euro, because of its gold position, will remain somewhat similar to where it was. But the U.S., given its debt versus gold position, we're going to have to devalue the dollar by 60%. China, um, you know, that they'll also be uh, having to, to, to face a devaluation. But that's why China is in a mad scramble to buy gold right now, because they know what's coming. They know that it'll be their gold position ultimately by which they're judged. So that's why I say it'll be a shock when they announce before the end of this year that they've doubled their gold reserves from one to 2,000 tons. This will dramatically change perceptions around the world. People will now understand that we're heading back to a gold standard of some type, and they'll then understand that uh, the U.S. dollar is the weakest, the weakest uh, of the weakest currencies. Even in spite of the U.S. military, you see the U.S. dollar as the weakest of the weakest. Well, the U.S. spends something like $240 million a day on gas, the Pentagon, to keep the, to keep, to keep the troops fueled up. So gas triples in price, the Pentagon's finished, military's finished. I see what you're saying. That's very interesting. It, it's a completely worthless armed forces because it relies entirely on gas <laughs> and the price of gas is going to quadruple. So, so the Pentagon is scrambling in the Mideast to get more gas. But, but at the same time, they're generating 10 to 20 times more in derivatives, which ultimately has to be priced against gold and which means price of gas is going to quadruple. So it's a stupid strategy and China knows it. Europe knows it. The only people who don't really know it are the Americans because they're, they've got this, bubble mentality. They're kind of sleepwalking through their lives and they can fill up their tank of gas. For $50,000 a year, which is the average income of an American, you can live like fantastically well compared to the other 7 billion people on planet Earth. You got a car, you got some wacky job, you know, you got, uh, you're entertaining yourself. You're living like a king, relatively speaking. People who say that in the U.S. that their lives are, um, 
you know, they're, they're, they're very good compared to uh, most of the world's population, but that is not going to be the case, I don't think, much longer. I'd love to get an update from you, like in a couple of months, as to how things are going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I could be wrong. So uh, then it'll be interesting to, to discuss why I'm wrong. But, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that's, uh, I, I, you know that, that's, that's kind of my timeline, and I think that's what's happening. And uh, doesn't mean it's going to happen, but that's what I think is going to happen. Max Kaiser, thank you very much. Okay, Bonnie, sure, anytime. I've been speaking with Max Kaiser. Today's show has been Countdown to Currency Collapse. Max Kaiser has been involved with markets and finance for 25 years. He started his career as a stockbroker on Wall Street. Max Kaiser is the inventor of the virtual specialist technology prediction markets and Karma Bank. He is the creator, co-founder, and former CEO of HSX Holdings Hollywood Stock Exchange, later sold to Cantor Fitzgerald. He is host of the bi-weekly Max Kaiser Report with Stacey Herbert on RT, is co-host of the weekly radio talk show The Truth About Markets, on Resonance 104.4 FM in London, and is host of the weekly On the Edge with Max on Press TV. He is a frequent guest on Al Jazeera English and France 24. Visit his website at maxkaiser.com. That's M-A-X-K-E-I-S-E-R dot C-O-M. Also visit piratemyfilm.com to reserve shares in financial activist films written, edited, and directed by Stacey Herbert. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaramako. To leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. That's G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Hey, yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. Trying to steal your life.